You are listening to Pastor Mike Griner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Dancing Together, Woman, Part 1, recorded on November 5th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, everybody. You didn't know it, but you walked into one of those hip churches where they don't have sermons, they have conversations, and they sit at a table like this. Um, To save you from asking, uh, yes, I did wrestle bear and a shark and save orphans, and that's what happened to my foot. Much less impressive is a 53-year-old man dragging himself up a bunch of mountains in Tennessee, and his bone spurs and his plantar fasciitis Got flared up. That didn't happen, of course. But anyway, so I got to sit. I don't even know if this is possible. I'm going to roll this sucker right off the stage. But welcome. And I mean, welcome to everybody. We have four campuses. Um, and uh, no matter which one you're in, I want you to get your cell phone out. Some of you already have it. You're already playing Minesweeper or something. Um, I know, that's, that's dated, whatever you play. But you can get it out, and I'd like you to open up whatever you use to text, your texting app. So, yeah, I mean it right now. If you have a smartphone, please cooperate. Yes, you, I'm, I see you people at PVC. You don't think I see you. I'm magic. I'm kind of, I'm using my Santa magic. I can see you right now. He can see you when you're sleeping, which is, makes Santa a creeper, I think, but and that's weird, right? I'm not doing anything good or bad when I'm sleeping, Santa. Why don't you not watch then? But get your phones out. Have you got them out? And I want you to put a phone number in where you're going to send this text to. Ready? 724. I already put it in mine. 567-8192. Got it? That's 724-567-8192. Now, you've got that. Now, what I'd like you to do is type a question in about anything to do with gender, male, female, marriage, God, and the Bible. Go ahead and type that question in right now. Now, if you don't have a question yet, hold your phone open and type it in before we're done. Um, Because Dave is collecting all these questions, and we're going to have a panel. It won't be just me. We will have the sharpest, most grade-A panel of people you've ever seen and, and the reason why is we want to make sure we answer all the questions. And I realize on a sermon series like this, it's easy uh, to be misunderstood and say something. And you think, did he mean that or this? And you need a chance to talk back. And this is a way any of us can talk back. So hopefully you have your phones out and, um, and ready to do that. Uh, well, we do have a, one church in four locations, but also we're heard at the local jail. Hello. Uh, I don't know if they let you guys have or gals have smartphones or not, but um, you can pass your questions off to someone else. But also, I got to be in, uh, in Georgia, and I, I just want to give a special shout-out, if I can, to my nephew Patrick, who, when I saw him, he prayed to receive Christ as Savior when I was on vacation, and we're excited. Why don't you clap for Patrick so he knows you? That's it for him? Okay, that's it. Now, you promised me you'd visit that one church down the road. Have you done it yet? Um, okay, let's get that done. Before going further, I want to ask if you're a Christian, no matter where you are, are you a Christian? Because this series is really family talk. Uh, to become a Christian is, 
is to, is to enter into a whole new way of life, one that it takes your entire life to learn. Because you're learning to think like God, to th- act like Jesus, to interact with people who are Christians like Jesus wants you to, and, and, and to interact with people who aren't Christians in a certain way. But there's a threshold, there's a birth that has to happen for you to be part of this family. Just going to a church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to be born again. John 3, 3, the Bible, Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to have an experience where you stop in your life and say, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I will surrender my life to him for that reason. And by surrendering your life, you're turning your life over to him, you're saying, I'm turning my back on my own sins and I'm receiving you as my savior and I will give you the rest of my life. It's a big decision, but it's not one you should think too much longer at. If you're in a church, it means you've already got it on your mind. Are you a Christian? If you're not, right now, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, forgive me for taking so long to follow you. Thank you. Jesus, for dying on a cross for my sins, please come into my life. Teach me to walk in your way and never let me go. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now I'm going to do all family talk. I'm going to talk to you like you're a Christian. If you say, I'm still thinking about it, take notes, and hopefully you'll need them in the future. All right? Uh, This past week, Harvest held a marriage conference for men and women on how to, to, um, to be a good Christian husband or a good Christian wife. Um... It was a great marriage conference, and none of you showed up because we held it in India. And this is, this is very exciting to me. Um, uh, Pastor Rodney went over, and Pastor Mike Harvey, and uh, one of our elders, Huey, went over, and, and um, they taught uh, about, I saw about 30 people in the room, and these people, well, this is very exciting to me, most of them, one year ago or two years ago, were Muslims. Today... They are Christians, right? How that happened? By the work of hardworking Indians who were Muslims, who became Christians, who we've been working with. So you have a hand in those eternal souls by being a part of Harvest Community Church, right? Do you see that connection? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? <laughs> I mean, that's something you can feel good about yourself for, for just tithing to the church, or personally supporting or knowing these people and praying for them and loving them and sending them out. But the reason why they need a marriage conference is they, they're very cognizant of the fact that what they were as Muslims is not the same as how Jesus wants them to be. And every area of their life needs to be submitted to God, including how do we deal with husbands and wives now that we're Christians instead of in the, in the, in the religion of Islam. And so we sent guys to teach them. But you know what? Do you think they need that marriage conference and we don't? We can't automatically think because we're Americans and become Christians, we already know how to be Christian men and Christian women. And so we're looking at the Bible to get the same training. Now today we're going to focus on the women. If you're new here, last time I spoke we focused on uh, the husbands in a husband and wife situation. You don't have to be a husband to, for the, to apply to you. God will feed you from his word no matter what the subject. The last couple of weeks, we've had um, Fred and Scott take us into legacy issues and family issues, but now we're back to the male and female in the marriage. And 
I was looking at the wife's part in the dance, and I realized I'm not a woman. Somewhere in there, (laughs) it occurred to me that this part's harder. I'm ready to talk to the men like that. Uh, But I'm I'm just lacking my estrogen, and (laughs) thank you. Um, I hope it's okay with you if I take at least two weeks to do the woman's part of what it took me one week to do the men's, all right? Because it's it's already taken me two sermons. Um, I've already written them both, and and this is the first, all right? So we're going to focus on the women. What we're going to do is start in the same place we started with the men, Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve fell into sin. God told them, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go wrong. This is what you messed up, right? It's like if you put sugar in your gas tank, you can go to the mechanic and say, my car won't run. I put sugar in the gas tank. He can tell you, well, this is what went wrong. And he can tell you what you have to fix. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, everything was fine before that. God is telling them, well, this is what you messed up. And this is what he said to the woman. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Or he shall, um, your desire shall be contrary to your husband in the latest ESV, and he shall rule over you. Um, Okay, if you notice that when, when, when God tells Eve, here's what went wrong when you sinned. Um, in one area, your relationship to your children has changed. Now it's going to be painful to give birth. And, and painful for you, no doubt painful for the kid. Aren't you glad you cannot remember your own birth? Isn't that awesome? That'd be the worst memory in the world. But there's going to be pain in childbearing. So he's talking about the woman and the child. And... There's going to be pain in your marriage that wasn't there before. There's going to be struggle for harmony where once there was harmony. He's going to have some power over you, and he may not exercise it well, and you're going to want to exercise your power over him, and that won't go well either. So the two main areas are children and husband. Already we're into a controversial territory for our society, aren't we? Well, let's, um, let's, let's fill out a blank, a really long blank, on our, uh, on our uh, maps. Ready? To contrast God's message to Eve with his message to Adam, what did he say to Adam? Something like, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and ate what you should not have eaten, um, now you're going to die. The ground is going to, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and the ground's going to grow thorns and eventually you return to the dust. He talked about work. To contrast God's message to Eve with his message to Adam in Genesis 3, the results of sin in her life don't point first to her need to make a living, but rather to the living, childbearing, to her need to make the living, if you will. Also, God doesn't point her towards her relationship with the earth like he did Adam. He said, Adam, you're going to relate to the earth like this now. He doesn't even go there with her but to her relationship with her husband. Much more troublesome than the earth is a husband. The spheres of main influence for the woman, in a general sense, are her role as wife and childbearer. Anyone want to throw anything yet? Okay, good. And this is where the trouble 
begins. This is where the trouble starts. When we say that in this culture, that if we were, if I was an important person like a politician in Washington and said that very sentence, oh boy, I'd be a, a Huffington Post star. Everyone would know my name as that idiot. But it's not just us. I, I'm very interesting. I, I just found out there was a book by a, a, a liberal Jewish psychiatrist from the upper, I think the Upper East Side up in Manhattan, some rich Jewish woman, right? They're all liberals, right? And she wrote a book called Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. And she collected all kinds of scientific evidence that shows that a woman ought to change her life so that the first three years of any child is mostly spent with her. And she found what we could have told her as Christians, that those, her own people, have just treated her like dirt. She can't get an interview on any, you know, Oprah's not having her on her couch to talk about her new book. Because she came back with the wrong data. The only people who let her talk on the radio are Christians, and she's not even one of us. But she dared say that a woman, if she has a baby, should try to spend the first three years with with the baby. And that is a sin in our world to say that. Because what are the main roles for women in our society supposed to be? Honestly, seriously, answer that question in your mind right now. If you had to go ask, not your Bible believer, but your basic American, what are the roles a woman is supposed to shoot for in America? Ask Cam Newton. He'll say something about knowing route running. (laughs) Football fans know where I'm going there. Um, Not in a football fans. Okay, I know. You're all protesting. I'm not protesting. I watch. Um, (coughs) Main roles for women in our society. You're supposed to be workers in the marketplace. You're supposed to be soldiers fighting, shooting guns and killing people. You're supposed to be athletes. You're supposed to be political power brokers. Whatever that is. If you were to say to someone, what should a girl grow up to be? You can say, you're supposed to say, you can be anything you want, sweetheart. Try to be a president. Try to be a CEO. Try to be a lawyer. Try to be a rock star. Try to be a great athlete. How many people say, you could be a mother? In our society, how would that go over? Cam Newton, when he gave his famous apology for saying he thought it was funny that a woman knew about running routes, which is funny because most time I play football, there's almost, it's mostly a male sport. There's very few, there's some women, but it's mostly male. And I never in my life ever heard a woman talk about running routes. But he pointed out it was odd. And then he came and said, I'm so sorry. What an idiot I am. This is the greatest sin. I couldn't have done worse if I killed a baby seal. And I have two lovely daughters, and I told them they could be anything they want. They can be presidents and doctors or whatever they're going to be. What if Cam Newton came on and said, I told them, you can be mothers and wives. How would our society take that? Seriously, how would our society take that? I'll tell you how. They say, how dare you hold us back? Don't you see the implication of that? What we're saying is motherhood is valueless. At least it comes after everything. Wife, valueless. 
What does God say? What does God say? Mother and wife can be tacked on to a successful career if you want. But you don't have to do those, for goodness sake. You're not limited. You could do something. You could work for a company. Like that means anything. Children, raising children and being a wife are a hindrance. They're not really needed. But what does God say? Titus 2 has this text, which many of you are familiar with. Some need to be, and so let me read it to you. Older women. By the way, older women here means you raise some kids. Back then they got married when they were 16 or 17, so you could be 30. 35. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. By the way, just on that line, women are to, the young women are to be taught by the older woman. And I was thinking as I was putting this together, no wonder, moron, that's why I sometimes talk to myself, you're having trouble figuring out how the, the women's point of view, you're not one of them. And that's why we're having a women's conference on Saturday next, okay, um, and on the 11th. So ladies, sign up. We've got some just top-notch teachers. Some are men, but most are women, and hope you'll be there. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to do what? To love their husbands and children. That's the Bible. Ladies, that's the Word of God. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands. Next week is all about the whole submissive piece. So you can hold off on that. But if you have a question now, text it now because I love questions. That the word of God may not be reviled. So the expectation here is that women in an ongoing manner in the church will take up the job of training other women. I love the women's ministry anytime it happens in our church. And women, by the way, always make it happen somehow. Big or little, they will teach one another. They will gather together. Um, People often say, how come the men's ministry, it doesn't do as much as the women? Because men aren't women. Get over it. It's not a big deal. But women should, in an ongoing way, train other women. That's what it says. But especially how to be a godly wife and mother. And that's going to be the subject of the rest of what I talk about. As a godly wife and mother, I feel like I'm an authority. Actually, no, I have no authority, but the Bible does, and so I'll teach you that. But before I do, I want to give three caveats. By the way, if you notice, I'm on a chair. I'm not used to a chair. I fidget a lot. If you're distracted by fidgeting, first, you haven't been at Harvest long. (laughs) But I'll try to hold still as I can. I feel like Charlie Rose. He does this. Three caveats. Number one, women are not prohibited from the marketplace in the Bible. I've already covered that, but I want to say it again. The idea that creating wealth is not a part of a woman's work, that is, it's been placed on the Bible. It's not in the Bible. In fact, the opposite is in the Bible. Creating wealth, being in the marketplace, 
It's wide open, ladies. Go get it. The Bible does not prohibit that. Second, God's purpose is for some people to be single. We talk about marriage, the two become one. You may get the impression, well, if I'm not married, then I'm not nothing. Not so. You're as a complete. We are all unified in Christ. We all become the bride of Christ, if you will, as the church. But each one of us is complete as an individual, judged as an individual, loved as an individual, and saved as an individual. And being single is the call for some by God. Some people are called to be single and don't want to be. Some are called to be single and do want to be. Either way, a woman does not need to have a husband to fulfill God's plan. She doesn't have to be a mother, and she doesn't have to be a wife. But what we should be clear on is when, especially when Paul teaches on singleness, he teaches that if you're single, that should be freeing you up with extra time, extra resources, and extra energy to put into the kingdom of God. Not simply to enrich yourself, but to serve God. Third caveat. Having children is not necessary to be a complete woman. Children are a gift and not earned. I remember a couple that I knew years ago, not a couple, some sisters, two of them. They weren't a couple. It could get confusing. Two sisters. One of them was a good church girl. She did it all right. She was always at Sunday school. She married a good church guy. She just did everything right. Her younger sister, okay, she went the other way. The, the good church girl just wanted to have a baby. But her younger sister, who never did it right and wasn't married, had no trouble making babies. And she, at, for a period of time, was very bitter and resentful towards God. I'm good, she doesn't behave, and you give her babies and not me. No one earns a baby. Nobody. You get a baby simply by the grace of God. And grace means she didn't earn, the other sister didn't earn the babies. God just gave them to her. Why? Because he gives good things to people who don't love him in hopes that they'll change their mind and love him. He's awesome like that. And sometimes he breaks the heart of his own children and makes us wait for things. And sometimes never gives them to us. But he knows what's best. Some of his uh, <laughs> greatest women in the Bible were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting until they were, you know, uh, John the Baptist's mother, Abra, uh, um, Isaac's mother. They got to have one kid when they were old. And then some had none. Jesus didn't have any. So I just want to set those things out of the way before we focus on the two portions of this text, the emphasis on childbearing and working at home. Now, again, this is, we got another sermon coming next week. We'll talk about that horrible word, submission, that makes everyone frightened, except anyone who trusts the Bible. Okay, so our focus is on two things. Focus one, childbearing is to be held in high esteem. Childbearing is to be held in high esteem, higher than the world holds it, and I mean the whole world. Um, If there's anyone in this room who believes that the world is overpopulated with people or that more people will destroy the resources of the earth, I want you to know that isn't true. And if you, and if you really want to explore it, go read the book called What to Expect When No One's Expecting. I'll say it again. What to Expect When No One's ex- Expecting. It's not a Christian book. Go read that book, then come back to me and argue. And what it'll show you is, dem- is demographically, human beings aren't having babies. We will continue to grow just because the people on the planet till we hit about 12 billion and then we're going to shrink very, very fast. 
Nobody, we're not replacing ourselves. Children are not held in high esteem. I'm telling you, God wants you to change your mind on that. He says, the, the young women are to be trained to love their children, be workers at home and be kind. The first value, young woman, have a child. You can't love them if you don't have them. To love children, they have to be valued. Birthing and raising children. Listen to me. Birthing and raising children is the first and most important work on the planet outside only from evangelism and church building because evangelism is the second birth. But if you don't do that, you're not going to have anyone to evangelize anyway. There is nothing more important. You can go save every seal on the planet. I just heard on the news, it cracks me up. They said, they have found a new endangered species. <laughs> they found a new species of orangutan. They'd never seen it before. And they said, and we immediately put it on the endangered species list. I'm like, what are you guys, nuts? This thing, this, this species of orangutan was so smart, they avoided humans till now. I think they're pretty, they don't need us. Well, you could save every orangutan. You could stop global warming if it's happening. You could fix the economy. None of that equals raising one child. You could be a corporate CEO. When you leave, you know what they're going to remember? Nothing. Maybe you get your name on the wall. When Adam and Eve were made, the command was given in Genesis 1.28. It was very simple. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And he didn't mean with stuff. He didn't mean with Walmarts. He meant with people. Fast forward thousands of years. The world is a sinful place. God wipes them all out with a flood. Noah and his children come off the boat. What does God say to them? Genesis 9.1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The exact same command. What is mankind's job? Make babies. Make babies. That's mankind's first and highest calling is to make babies. That's what the Bible teaches. I know this is nuts. Nowhere else in the world will you hear that said. This is the highest priority for humanity. Nowhere. But that's what's cool about God. He teaches us the truth and we're upside down. You people sitting here with a bunch of kids, I know they're driving you crazy. That's the best thing you ever did though is to be driven crazy by those kids because they're the best thing you ever did. God desires humans to increase in number. What is more valuable on this earth than a human soul? Besides human souls, what on this earth lasts? Did you say nothing? I hope you said nothing. Whatever lasts forever is the most valuable. What on this earth besides humans is made in the image of God? Say nothing. There's no greater work you can do than making and raising children. And it it generally takes two, at least to get the thing started. The Bible says in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
Man is made great by having children. This doesn't mean if God doesn't give you many children that you're not great. The point is, children are valuable. We are taught to see children, ladies, like an accessory. They're an accessory not to your wardrobe like a purse, but to your life. If you want to add a kid or two, add a kid or two. Well, I'm not married. Who cares? Just add a kid. Well, I am married. Good. You two work it out. Add a kid. C.S. Lewis, quote, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. End quote. See, God sees children as treasure. How do I know that? What's the most valuable thing? Now, thinking money-wise, what's the most valuable thing you have? Money-wise. Well, whatever you would pay the most money for, right? What did God pay the most for? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that which is most valuable, that whoso believes in him will not perish. He paid for your soul. Children are treasure. Children are treasure. He wants more. We want less. He wants more. And the family is to begin with a marriage. Let's take a note here. Building a family or sustaining a family with an eye to carrying that family forward on the right path into the future is the noble task assigned by God to the entire human race. I'm not saying there aren't other noble tasks. You can, if you get a cure to AIDS or cancer, that's noble. And if you even say, I'm not going to marry so I can devote myself fully to that, that's noble and good. And if God's called you to that, that's wonderful because it's, it's life-giving. But the most noble ta- task given to us is building the family. And families begin with marriage. Now, the world today says you don't need marriage to have kids. We, we do live in a world where marriage is, is rough. And um, I come from a family that divorced. And uh, that's pretty common. But our world is, isn't talking about just families that break apart that don't want to. It's literally saying you don't need to be married to have kids. And really, they're wrong. You can produce a kid, but it won't come out as good as he would have if you had done it otherwise. Thinking through this, I, I, I don't want to be too personal because I don't want to be self-indulgent. But on the other hand, you have a right to know whether who I am, I guess, if I'm going to talk to you about it. I got married when I was in college. This is, this is also against all cardinal rules. Don't get married before you get out of college. Why? Because you'll die. You know, if you're in college and you want to get married, you go tell your mom or dad. They're like, not before you're out of college. You're like, Why? You know, scabs will get all over you or something. <laughs> well, well, Dad, I want to live with these three drunken roommates or I want to get married and live with her. I mean, you got to share the expenses anyway. So I got married in college. Both of us were in college. My wife got pregnant. She'd already graduated because she's, does, I don't know how she worked that out. I mean, maybe she's smarter than me. Maybe, I don't know. Probably is. But by the time Mandy showed up in her stomach, I was still in school, but I got out. And then right around the time Mandy was born, with a college degree, 
I worked as the assistant manager at Hardee's in State College, Pennsylvania. It didn't pay much. <laughs> and it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to go work in television. I went and talked and learned that if you want to work in television, you've got to be you got to volunteer for any job. They'll pay you nothing, and you got to do it, and you got to pay your dues, and you got to work hard. And I couldn't do that because now my wife couldn't work as much because we had this baby. So there I am at Hardee's. I later said, I'm moving up. So I moved to Roy Rogers. And if any of you remember Roy Rogers, that was a much better chicken, right? After a year of that, I said, enough of this crud. We moved to California. Just like Jed Clampett to try to See if we can make a home. And uh, I got a job working for Payless Drug Stores in management. It paid okay, but the name of the store was Payless, and they did. And they moved us to Arizona, and, and Nick came along. And then they moved me all over the place. And I said, forget Payless. Let's go to a place where they really pay less. Let's go into ministry. So when I was 30, I left my job. We moved to South Carolina into a 60-foot single-wide trailer. Now, I've lived in trailers a good portion of my life. And for those of you who don't know, those of you who live in trailers know what I'm saying. 60 foot's not long. 80 foot is a good single-wide, right? And double-wide, heck, hog's heaven. We were in a 60-foot single-wide, and my third child, Catherine Michael, decided it was her time to come along. Now, you may or may not know it, but Lori had a degree already in accounting. And during all this time, she was changing diapers and helping move and pack all the time. And I was getting trained. My time at Payless actually turned out real good for me. They trained me to be a trainer of people. So all I did was teach 40 hours a week. Invaluable experience if you want to be a pastor. And um, then I went to seminary. And she um, she was there with them youngins, mostly taking care of young youngins because they're high maintenance. Now, now, don't get me wrong. When she was 42 or 43, she said, I think I'm going to get my CPA. It's certified public accountant thing. I'm like, fine, whatever. But she spent the lion's share of her young adulthood investing in our children and her husband, but that's next week's sermon. How much did we lose in wages? We lost a lot. She always could have commanded more from me until I got something going. My paths were going to take a while before you made money. She could start and start moving up. She worked a little bit, but mostly jobs she could do from home. We never owned. We always rented. <laughs> we rented small apartments. We rented modular homes. We, we rented bigger homes. Um, we rented, uh, uh, we bought a trailer, which was all right. And, and, and we didn't know if we'd ever own a home. First church I went to, frankly, didn't pay me enough to buy a trailer. And they gave me a parsonage. Say, there, stay there. I was like a, it's like being in a doghouse living in a parsonage, I'll tell you. You're owned. No regrets. You know why? Because looking back at 53, and I don't care if I have a trailer now, we're, we're buying a house now. We're really excited. We're first time home buyers. It's awesome. We found something cool called Armstrong County. I know some of you listening are in Indiana County, or, but, but Armstrong County is one of the few places in America where, you, where most people can afford to buy some sort of home. 
I, I hope you people appreciate it. If you don't believe me, go to New Jersey and try to get a house. You won't like living there, and you can't afford living there. Why is anyone in New Jersey? But even if we rented to the day we died, who cares? You know why? Nothing equals the value of what we invested in and what we built. Mandy, Nick, we added Sue Young, Michael, and their lives. I don't have anything more valuable in my life. Nothing. No regrets. But the world attacks my wife, always has. Because she thinks it's valuable to raise children and work in a home. They would never want Lori teaching young women. (laughs) But God says, Lori, teach the younger women. We live in a culture of death, my friends. Never get comfortable on this planet. Peter tells us clearly, we are aliens. We are not citizens of this globe. We are not to think like them. This is a culture of death, a culture where people fight to make marriage and motherhood ugly to women. Let me say it again. You live in a culture that fights hard to make marriage and motherhood ugly. That's going right at the heart of God. Because if having children, raising family is the most noble thing humans can do, no doubt about it, the women have the lion's share of the ability to pull it off. More on that in a second. But if you don't believe me, here I want you to do a Google search. Don't do this one now. You're supposed to be doing questions. Do a Google search, reasons not to get married. You will be amazed at how many lists. Top 10, top 8, top... And, and what publications? Abortion is the icon of our age. To abort is to worship To kill the baby in the womb is to worship, for it liberates the woman from motherhood. Marriage, (laughs) children our age are the disposable product of sexual activity. That's what abortion is. We're just saying what you did created something disposable. We're here to dispose of it so men can't hold you down. Marriage and family are prison cells for women. We don't build families. We break them apart. We don't have children. Female success is measured by money earned. And masculinity, my friends, masculinity is unnecessary and even dangerous. That's the society you live in. What's happened to masculinity? It's unnecessary. Men are dangerous to all that testosterone. (laughs) Let them go play video games. Our society has become anti-human. It has. What what should thrive is us. And all our values are to destroy us, to diminish us. And tearing down the role of mother and wife, it's the shortest distance between two points. Tear down the women, the men will go with them. Satan knew it in the garden, and he knew who to attack. God sees things differently. Every life matters. Every baby is more valuable than the entire earth that it is born onto. 
Every child is worth what he or she costs mom and dad. People are always saying, well, we can't afford a baby. You know what? You can. For goodness sake, it's the United States of stinking America. Maybe you can't if they all got to have their own little rooms and they all got to wear Nikes. But I, here's what I've noticed, not only in my life, but in other people's lives. When they come, you find food. You find, you see the richest Americans, the upper middle class, we just can't, whoa, afford another baby. <laughs> the heck was that? Whoop. Who put me in this chair? It was Dave. No, Dave loves me. He didn't tell me about that. What should Christians do then? Let's fill out our map. We should teach our little girls that they should expect that they will probably be mommies and wives and have children. You want a Christian, you want a more Christian nation? Have kids. In 20 years, you'll have it. Doesn't take them long to grow up. Because non-Christians ain't having kids. They're having them at a rate of like, in in many societies, 0.7 per two people. Sometimes 1.1 for two people. You need 2.4 to replace yourself. So have 2.4 kids. Have 2.5. You'll beat the, the curve. Teach our little girls that they should expect that they probably will be mommies and wives and have children. And that building a family is a high calling. And we should teach our little boys that they are to live lives of sacrifice and hard work so they can provide for wives and children. Teach the boys that. Teach them men work hard. Men take the beating. Men don't hit women ever. Men respect them. Men show them honor. Men work hard and men pay for the date. Teach them. So they can build a family. I know this ain't how the world thinks. They're wrong. Look at the world. Focus number two, women hold a primary responsibility in forming a home environment for children and husband. That may sound strong, but everywhere in the Bible, it talks about home. It's always putting the woman there, not the man to build it. I like to joke about man caves, but man caves are a universal thing we can all identify only because it is the majority of men who know that the house belongs to the woman. I'm not kidding. That's why they have man caves. They've got to have a space where they can go and be pigs Because that woman that thou gavest me keeps saying, don't do that in the living room. And it's better that way. By the way, have you ever seen men's dorms room, dorm rooms and women dorm room? I'm not saying that neatness or anything, but some people think of it as a functional place where I can sleep, eat, and leave. Other people think of it as the environment that they need to thrive in. Which do you think is the man? Every woman is an artist. Every woman is an artist. And the whole world may not care about her art, but her home is her art. Every woman fills her home with her touch, her song, her beauty, her creativity, her values. Every family grows up with the fragrance of the mom. The man may build the house, but the woman builds the home's environment. She sets the order for the children. She makes the nest worth living in for the man. Or she doesn't. Because <laughs> you can fail at this, ladies. 
Proverbs 31 paints a picture of an excellent wife. And I know some of you ladies are Christians. You're afraid of Proverbs 31 because you think what it's telling you is be perfect. It isn't. Don't, when, I'm going to read some of it to you. Don't think, i got to live up to this woman right now. That's not what it's saying. Instead, you should be thinking, over a lifetime, this is, this is I can marvel at what the beauty of a woman can do in a family. It's a life's work. It's not a day's work. Here's what the Bible says. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. I know we don't have maidens anymore. Wouldn't some of you ladies like to have some maidens running around? Help out a little bit. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She per- perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and she holds, hands hold the spindle. We don't make our own clothes and stuff much, but she did. <laughs> she opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for they're clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity. Strength and dignity. Where is the dignified woman in our culture? You won't find them on the Grammys. Or her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. How do they rise up? Because it's over a lifetime that you do this, ladies. None of you are perfect. But this is your life's work. Her husband also praises her and he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. By the way, a lot of people wonder, um, because when you're a pastor, you've got to talk about everything. And when you talk about a wife, you've got to talk a little bit about what's good and what's bad. And some may wonder, what about my wife? I would say of my wife, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Uh, the best decision ever was marrying you. And I was young and stupid. I can't believe I made it. She has never done me wrong. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Be it a trailer, a house, an apartment. The happiest home is where the one, where the wife fills it with her spirit and her love. My mom, hopefully you're listening to this, mom. After the divorce, and by the way, I'm not mad at either my mother or father for divorcing. What are you going to do? But it sure makes it tough on a kid. Well, my mom lived in a single wide. It was an 80 foot. And, and I think we had, I think we were only 12 feet, but that's okay. 12 by 80 isn't bad. But one of those first Christmases, before you start getting a little more stuff again, we didn't have any Christmas ornaments or not much. So my mom, now at the time I didn't realize 
that this was Poe folk stuff. She went to like Kmart and you bought these little wood Christmas ornaments. And you poked them out at their balsa wood and then you painted them. So we did that. And that was a lot of fun. And then we, she said, no, the fun thing is stringing popcorn and cranberries. So we did that. It was one of the most fun Christmases I ever had. I never even realized we were slumming it till like I was thinking about it for this sermon. Whether it's a trailer, an apartment, a mansion, your fragrance, ladies, fills the house. I want to read to you just a little bit, Common Sense Christian Living from Edith Schaefer. If you haven't heard of Edith Schaefer, ladies, you should, and you should find her books online. She sold millions. I don't know if any are in print. Francis Schaefer's wife, I've always enjoyed her more. Speaking of Proverbs 31, she says, I feel that the woman described in Proverbs 31 points out the fact that life is not meant to be regarded as a frozen or static situation. Certainly all the admirable things written about this woman did not take place in one year. Her husband's full confidence in her has been built up over a long enough period of time for that confidence to grow and deepen. And her life has emphasized that she is a trustworthy person. When the statement is made, She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know immediately that there have been many years involved in order for such a sweeping statement to make sense. Day by day, month by month, year by year, there is something being lived that can be pointed to as worth observing because of continuity. The beauty of the life of a woman. The description of this woman getting up while it's dark to prepare interesting food for her family and working with eager hands to spin and weave flax is a picture of something that has continuity, something that has taken place over a long period of time. Flax has, to, has had time to grow, to be harvested, to be spun, to be woven into cloth, to be made into an array of things. We're not being told about a short spurt of energy and imagination which soon turns to another man and another career after a minimal trial. In her discussion with her children and her husband, she opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. Her opinions and ideas and advice are described as being wisdom. Oh, to have a wife who speaks wisdom to you and not folly. Through years that are long enough to develop the relationships with her husband and children, years that are long enough to have them grow in their appreciation of her ideals as well as of her, She's influenced her husband and children. This was, is not the picture of a, of a drudge who is kept at a sink, cowering in a kind of dumb submission. This woman, we are told, has earned her reward in a great variety of work, creative work, as well as just plain, diligent, industrious work. However, her praise isn't pictured as praise only for a fruitful production of material results, but we're told her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. That praise shows forth the reality of warm friendship and relationships that recognizes the intellectual, spiritual, and emotional help his mother and wife has given. There's a wider thing than a family being pictured here also. The woman considers a field. She buys it out of her earnings. In that field, she plants a vineyard. She's pointed out as someone who has the intelligence and the freedom to look over real estate, to make a judgment to choose a field that will be good for growing grapes. She knows something about soil, something about grapes. She could develop her knowledge into a full career, but she limits it to only 
the portion of her time. She goes on. Um, I, I wish I could go on. But ladies, it's common sense Christian living men too. I'd recommend eating a Schaefer. But I hope what you're seeing is the picture. Proverbs 14 says this, A wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. We, we sit and look at like, should a woman work inside the home or outside the home? Can I have a part-time job or a full-time job? You're thinking all wrong. The thing is, what is the woman's priority? What gets most of her energy? Is it her children when they're young? And is it her husband? Always. That allows room for all kinds of scenarios financially. But the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. The man is not going to make the home. Now there's a lot of things he has responsibility for, but this isn't his sermon. And he's going, Phew. But the foolish woman tears down her house. She runs around with another man. She complains to her husband instead of doing him good, telling him how awful he is, how he isn't as good as the neighbor. She's the one who doesn't have time for the kids. She's the one who worries about what other people think. She's a fool. Let me address a couple practical matters before we finish. One, I know we live in a society that produces many broken marriages, and that means we have people among us who have to build their home as a man or a woman. Normally it's a woman, but it could be a man or a woman on your own. To that I say, entrust yourself to God. To the single mother especially, I say, you are still the song that fills the house. Teach your daughters, if you're a single mom, to hold up their heads. Teach them that few men are worthy of them. Because that's what a father, by the way, you dads, if you're not teaching your daughter that, you're blowing it. That few men are worthy of them. And if you're a single mom, this is going to be the hardest part, but you need to hear me. Raise your boys to do housework when they're young. As soon as they can, they don't have to do it well. Raise your boys to do work in the home and then to get jobs as soon as they're able. I mean, when they're 16, 15, get them on our working papers and tell them, it's time for you to go get a job. Because you may not have an advantage of a husband to help, but he's going to be a husband. All families must teach young men not to depend on their wife's income. There are many women who feel constant guilt because they have children and they want to be home. But before the kids came, husband expected them to continue to bring home what she could bring home. And now your lifestyle's too high and she cannot be with the kids. He doesn't feel guilt because he's a man. He's not made to feel guilt for working hard like that outside of the home. She does. He's got to let her off the hook. Sell the house. Trailer living isn't bad. It depends on the trailer park. All right? That's the, that's the secret. That's the secret. If they make you have skirting on the side and cut the grass, that's the one. I'm serious. I'm serious as a heart attack. From the time my parents divorced, whenever I was with my mom, we were in a trailer all the way up until I was, went to the 12th grade. Then I moved out. So. Stepmothers, stepfamilies, I don't have time to talk about it, but I want you to know you have the hardest job of all because you raise children who naturally prefer a different environment. Just remember this. You need grace, patience, humility, and prayer. A healthy step family is a destination. You don't start with it. Well, let me finish now. Next week, more for the wife. I think that's enough. (laughs) 
You probably have a lot of questions because I said some things wrong. So text them in there. But all of us need to realize the value of the family. It's a central role of the woman is in the creation and sustenance of that family. The man can't do it like she can do it. The mother is the first home of all people. Her, her stomach is what God made, not evolution. God, to be the first home. Her breast, the first food. And the tender care at that breast is worth way more than the calories. And a man can't give any of that. She forms the home for her brood. She builds the traditions. Hey, if you, I, I come on my one side of my family, Mexicans and Italians. Other side's Germans. Germans, you can imagine, now some of you might be Germans and you could be the exception of the rule, but most Germans, you know, they're about as warm as an ice cube. You know, that's, that's, that's the way it is. You know, it's their language. They can't help it. Could you imagine a love song in German? I love you. You know, he's like, it doesn't work. But Italian and Spanish. Big families. But I tell you, all the joy in that family, the glue is the women. And if you've, if you've ever seen a warm family, you know it. Take the women out, it's not a warm family anymore. It's always the women. The world pushes women to flee from these duties, to call them not valuable. But God says, woman, I love you, and you're fulfilling my purpose. (laughs) Go with God. Go with God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.